guys, and welcome to the Pioneering Today podcast. This is episode number 93, and this is a really fun episode. I hope that you enjoy it as much as I did. So in this episode today, we are going to be talking about five homesteading tips that will save you money. There's actually a lot more than five. We unpack a ton of homesteading tips, and I think that my very favorite ones actually might be tip number four and then the bonus tip number six. And one of the things that I want to share with you that is really awesome about today's special episode is Tessa, who is my guest today on The Homestead. She has given us a really cool gift as a free bonus download. So you're going to want to make sure that you grab it. And what what Tessa gave us is a free homestead kitchen guide that is packed. Get this, you guys, that's in there. There's over 160 frugal food tips for beginners. But the way that she has it written down, like if you were to count them all out, there's 160 in there, but it's not like this big, huge, overwhelming thing. They're very practical, really good tips that work. There's five do-it-yourself kitchen tutorials, so how to make some things at home. There's one seasonally appropriate recipe, which I cannot wait to try, is her homemade pumpkin spice marshmallow recipe. Doesn't that sound phenomenal? I can't wait to dive into that one. Then there's goals and do-it-yourself challenges. There's journal prompts. Um, She's got recommended resources for further study and suggestions on how to build community, which is a big part of what we talk about today, and inspiration and encouragement on your homesteading journey. So I really hope that you go and grab that because it is jam-packed with really awesome tips that I know are going to help you. And there's tips in there for all levels. So if you're just at the homestarter part, not like a full-on homesteader yet, you're just kind of beginning, there's going to be a ton in there for you. And even if you are a full-on homesteader, there's going to be things that you can glean and use in there as well. So to grab that, go to melissakeynorris.com, click on the podcast episode number 93, and make sure that you get that really cool resource. This is Miss Tessa Zundel from homesteadinglady.com. Did I get that right, Tessa? Correct, Tessa Zundell and homesteadlady.com. You got it. Woohoo! And today we are going to be sharing with you simple ways to save money on the homestead, in the homestead home, which I love because I am all about being frugal when need be. And that's one of the things that actually I love the most about homesteading is it really does allow you to save money in so many ways compared to, you know, mainstream society or just kind of living like, you know, like the normal American life, so to speak. So I'm always excited to learn from other people as well and to share that. So I need to save some money, Tessa. Tell me what I need to know, girlfriend. (laughs) Well, I'll do my best. (laughs) Our frugality is typically forced, quite honestly, if I had my choice. I'd enjoy my central heat and air and my takeout and my store-bought pasta as much as possible. But but the fact is, is that I can't afford all that stuff. So each time we've had a, you know, a job loss or a setback of some kind, I've had to learn new skills. And I always end up grateful for the chance um, to learn those things, but it can be hard. And so I've kind of picked, I took these tips Mm -hmm. and I got five for you and I kind of have a little bonus one at the end. I took them from my book, the do-it-yourself homestead. And that book was written on different, four different levels of homesteading. Mm -hmm. So there's beginners clear up to people who've been doing it for years and doing it on acreage. And so these tips kind of, they're kind of graduated or you could take them at your level, I guess I should say. So 
if you're completely new to homesteading, you're just barely identifying yourself as a homesteader, they absolutely apply, but don't feel overwhelmed. If I mention something and you think, I can't do that, just just say to yourself, well, I'm not doing that yet. And maybe this is something I can think about. And then, you know, a lot of people in your audience, especially, are going to be way more frugal savvy than I am. So they can comment and you know, leave comments on this podcast to set me straight, to tell me how I can do even better. Because <laughs> um, your your audience is really smart. I've, uh, you know, followed you for a while and listened to your podcast and you've got a smart audience. Oh, so. thank you. Hopefully. I do have, I have to say, I've got an awesome, tribe is kind of this word that's thrown around, but I think really it's, it's a, it's a, it's a group of people who identify and work and have common goals and outlooks in life. And then we just share that with one another to help one another. So I guess tribe is kind of a way of encompassing that. Um, and for those of you who are listening, because I do, we love to share that. That's what I, the homesteading is to me is really all about. And I feel that that's what homesteading kind of is separated from when you, you know, when you start to, it's so funny because homesteading and preparedness really overlap so much, but I feel like with yeah, homesteaders that, homesteaders overall have like the the open hand like let let me help you you know let me teach you let me you know be a a good neighbor so to speak maybe a little bit more. I agree which which I really I love that aspect so for those of you who have got tips to throw in also so that we can all share and learn because I really love that aspect you go to melissknorris.com on the website hit that podcast button it's right at the top of the menu and then go down and all of the episodes are listed. So you can just click on that. And then there's the full show notes, blog post with links for things that we mentioned about. Um, we'll have a link to Tess's book if you want to check that out. But most importantly, it allows you to leave comments there so we can continue the conversation with you guys. Let's jump in here. Okay. Well, actually, it's good that you started, we started out talking about community because that's actually the first tip is to access your homestead community and to start kind of thinking outside the box when it comes to getting the things you need for your homestead. So one of my first tips is to learn how to barter with your neighbors and to share. Um, You mentioned the generosity of homesteaders. I would also throw gardeners in there. A lot of gardeners don't necessarily consider themselves homesteaders, though they really are. are, Um, But you're always growing more pumpkins than you need or, you know, have a windfall of apples. And what's the first thing we think to do? Well, we think to share it because no matter how much you can and store, you sometimes just can't save it all. And so our very natural inclination is to seek outside of ourselves and try and share the, the things that we have that are extra. And learning how to barter and how to create this sort of sharing little niche or tribe, if you want to use that word, that's a great word to use. This little share tribe in your community is a great way to consistently and over the years, save money. Um, because you end up, I had a friend who was, uh, she cut hair professionally. And I, you know, I've got five kids. So I, I don't have time to drag them all into a salon and make up. I just don't do that's not my life. <laughs> and so but they need haircuts. That's not a skill I have at all. And she needed goat milk. She had uh, transitioned off um, store-bought milk and was looking for a goat milk supplier. And I was like, well, Toby, you've got this awesome skill. I've got the goat milk. Let's trade. And so for a couple years when we lived here where she was, that's what we did. So we looked fabulous and she got goat milk. It was a great, 
trade-off. And it didn't hurt me. I was already milking the goats and I had all this extra and I couldn't possibly keep up with all the cheese making. So it worked out well for me. So I encourage people to just, it's for some of us, it's way outside our comfort zone to even think like that. We just want to go to the store and buy what we need in a box and bring it home and not have to talk to people or, or interact or think outside of that little box. But it really can save us money. And I think a frugal mindset, it's great to save the money, but really what we're trying to do is train ourselves to become the kind of people that we want to be. So we don't want to just save money. We want to be a frugal kind of person that looks around and uses our resources well. And that that just takes training. And so, you know, all of these these five little steps and the little extra one at the end, is they're really just meant to teach us how to retrain ourselves. So when we when we look around to barter or even host a clothing swap, which is which is a higher level of engagement and activity than just bartering with your neighbor. Mm-hmm. So let's say that's a higher level of homesteading. You want to organize that clothing swap. That's yeah. an awesome way to build community, but it's a lot more work. But any way that you decide to do that, really what you're doing is teaching yourself to think outside of that box. Get yourself out of the store and into your community and see what resources are there. So yeah, that's... Tip number one. I love that tip, and I've done that on a. I've done well. I've done that on a lot of levels. My dad, which I've mentioned before, so any of you who have listened to the podcast for a while probably are familiar with stories of my dad. He grew up during the Great Depression. And on the past episodes, and I will link to that in the show notes, I have interviewed my dad and he has shared a lot of the frugal tips that they used growing up because a lot of the way that they grew growing up was from the Great Depression. And then afterwards, when the Great Depression ended, it didn't really change the the way that they lived. So it was mainly what you grew yourself is what you ate and you, you know, you made do, but there was that sense of community. And so I grew up, I didn't realize that it wasn't really the normal until later. My dad barters (laughs) all the time. And so I'm really grateful because I got to learn those skills and I didn't realize that that was kind of um, something that not a lot of people do so much today. But one of the great things is, is like you said, is you could start out with So, for example, we are lucky enough that we live about an hour away from the coast, and so we're we have a small little boat, and we're able to go crabbing just right on the on the coast in the little sheltered bay areas. Mm-hmm. And my husband loves if he had his way. If I didn't get sicker than a dog out on the ocean, we would probably live <laughs> on a boat. Like he loves to be on yeah. the water. Yeah, but so but I my feet are firmly planted on the mountain. So, <laughs> but we ventured down. <laughs> so anyways, compromise, right? It is. It's compromise. So we were able to get um quite a bit of crab, Dungeness crab which is amazing because there's we would never ever be able to afford it in the store just quite like you said you know necessity wise so we go out and, and we're able to get it ourselves and then we freeze it and so that we've got it you know when we're able to get extra when we're lucky <laughs> then we freeze that up yeah right so then I've got a, a friend who has a lovely big old huge Gravenstein apple tree and Gravensteins to me are like the best of the best of the apples. Gravenstein apple pie. And the apple epitome sauce. of apples. Yes. They are. Oh my goodness. I like, I adore them. And I've got a little tiny baby, baby Gravenstein in our little mini orchard that we planted, but it is not producing yet. So when she said she had a bumper crop of Gravensteins, I'm like, okay, like what, what can we work on trading? So I took her some crab <laughs> and she brought me like literally 30 pounds of Gravenstein apples, which I, I'm oh. not sure who got the better end of the deal, but. <laughs> I don't know. That's a tough one. I know. But we, so it worked out really great for the both of us. But one of the ways, because you're kind of,
kind of like, well, I don't really have any close friends or I'm not really sure what I, you know, could barter with like that. Or it might be, like you said, you might not have that comfort level of doing it in person so much. But one of the great things about being a modern homesteader is if you are on Facebook, there are a lot usually of local groups. And so you can go in or you can just post on your personal Facebook page. Hey, I've got such and such of this who would be willing to trade, you know, whatever. And then that way, because if you're doing it from your personal page or a local group, it's somewhere, you know, local to you, Yeah. you know, and then of course, if it's not someone you don't know personally, work out the details. So you're not meeting at your home. I just have to throw right. the safety, safety <laughs> right. caution part in there. Um, but that can be a really great, we actually have in my little local community, a local barter and swap page and it's a group on Facebook. Yeah. So you can just dive in there. And so that can be a great way um, as well without having to quite do it so much in person, at least in the beginning to get you going bonus thing too, to start on the bartering yeah. swapping. Plus it's putting something nice on the internet. There's so much garbage garbage on the internet let's let's put some good stuff on the internet put that crab on the internet amen <laughs> grabbing steamed apples <laughs> build some community make the internet a great place to be yeah okay so tip number two well tip number two and i don't want anybody who like is is homesteading in an apartment or in a small space or has never done livestock to freak out don't freak out but my second tip is to keep a flock of chickens and if that just you can't handle that, then try vermicomposting, try, which is composting with worms. Try and get some livestock in whatever way is feasible for you. And if it just isn't right now or you just can't handle it, then just ignore this tip. But the reason that I mention it is because, again, we're trying to become the people we want to be. There's a lot of things that livestock can do for you in changing your mindset about how you eat and what you eat and learning where your food comes from and and how it's produced can help you become a more frugal consumer in so many different ways. So you can become a more educated consumer. You're not buying products that contain elements that you have decided that you don't want to consume anymore, that they're not good for your health. But once you've got that education, you kind of look around and think, well, we were just at Real Food. Well, Real Foods is, uh, we're here in Utah visiting, and they are one of the only raw milk producers left in the state. And they have a little storefront that you can go to. They're kind of like Whole Foods, but just in their niche. And we were looking around, and I looked at the eggs. <laughs> They're $8 a dozen. And I don't have, I've got five kids, and we eat so many eggs. I don't have $8 to spend on a dozen eggs, which we could consume in a breakfast and then some. So I keep chickens. Yeah, they're cute and they're a lot of fun and it's good for the kids to have chores. But really, I keep them because I can't afford to consume eggs that are healthy enough to pass my kitchen test. Like I won't allow them in my home if they've got this or that in them. But we love eggs and they're a great source of protein. And so I, I, I suggest that simply for those who are ready to make that leap into some kind of livestock. Goats can do the same thing for you. And even worms, although they don't produce food, unless you're a fish, if you go fishing, you can use them, but um, they do produce compost. The chickens do as well, and so do the goats. And when you end up with all of this waste from your livestock, you think, well, now what? So you'll want to figure out what to do with it. And that will automatically lead you into the garden and make you a better gardener over time. And then you're producing more of your own food. So like I said, really, these tips are to help train us to be more frugal over time and to become sort of frugal mindset kinds of people rather than just doing a certain number of steps. So if 
chickens aren't your thing, then do something else that involves livestock wherever you are because it really will get you thinking about what's in your food and you'll become a a more educated consumer which will automatically make you more frugal. Yeah, you know, and one thing too that I want to add in there because I know a lot of times, like you said, if you're an urban homesteader, you know, you're in a small apartment or you're really in the city. Now, depending upon, you you will have to check exactly where you're at. Some urban places will let you have a small amount of chickens. Like there's so many chickens that you can have or small livestock like goats and stuff, but you will definitely have to check, you know, with your city and all of that. But one of the options, if you're really wanting to get into it, but you don't have the property yet, or you're kind of like, I don't know that I want to full on take the full responsibility of doing livestock all on my own yet. And this has actually been successfully done by, um, members in my family. And that can be where you can either kind of do like a herd share program, program, so to speak. So you've got a farmer, you know, that has the land and the know-how and all of that. And you pay and you have your own specific animal. So a lot of times it's done with beef. But you pay them and they raise it for you. And then when it comes, you know, butcher time, but then you know exactly what's getting in, going into the animal. Um, you know, you could go and actually see it, you know, what's being raised. So that can kind of be like a baby step segue into livestock. Or this is another option, actually, that one of my siblings does is he doesn't have property, but he really wants to raise his own livestock. And he does that. And so what he does is he actually finds people that has property or this could be yard space in regards like to the chickens. Um, and then he essentially just kind of leases that from them. And then he raises his own herd on it. And of course, you'll have to come up with a, a very, you know, agreement on how that's all going to work with the individual person on your own. But Though there can be some options if you don't have the land yet, but you want to kind of start to dive into the livestock. So I just, I wanted to throw those out there because I know that they have really successfully worked for quite a few people that didn't have their own acreage yet, but did not want to wait. Absolutely. We've had people do that with us. We, when we were, uh, right now we're in the middle of nowhere, but our last homestead was very urban. We were an acre in the middle of a city and, but we were allowed through our zoning we were allowed chickens and so we had some neighbors come to us and say hey can we trade labor for some of the results like yeah of course and you will find one of the cool things about do having to do that again you know sometimes our frugality is forced and we have to work a certain way even if we'd prefer to have our own land is that you get to know the growers that are around you and the people who are like you in your community who are doing these things and you've you just provided yourself a built-in mentor because I can guarantee that person who owns enough space for chickens probably knows something about bees or probably knows something about canning or any of those other homestead questions you've got rumbling around. So score, you just got yourself a teacher, which will over time save you so much money. It just kind of brought us back to point one, actually, which is, you know, continuing to build your tribe and your community. community. Yeah. 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 I love that. Everything's community. Homesteading doesn't mean you're doing it on your own. I'm very, I don't can't think of anybody I know who homesteads who does it on their own. It's just not part of the dynamic. Tip number three. Tip number three is something your audience is going to be very, very familiar with because you're constantly educating them on how to do it, and that's cook from scratch. Um, and again, don't freak out at the words from scratch. This is a very take it at your level sort of enterprise. Um, 
There are a lot of resources for those who are... The problem is, <clears throat> your father grew up in the Depression. He had all of these skills, and he taught a lot of them to you. But there has been a disconnect. Melissa Richardson actually talks about this in her book, her second uh, Natural 11 book. What is that? Natural... Yeast. Oh, darn it. I can't remember the name of her book off the top of her head, but she's the bread geek and she's written about using sourdough culture and natural leavens. And she's an awesome lady. And she mentions in that second book of hers that there is this cultural gap between people like your father and people like you and I and our children that that these skills have just been lost. And it's not like we're too ignorant to learn them or we're unwilling. We just don't know where to start a lot of the time. And for people who know how to cook, the idea of not knowing how to cook seems odd. How do you not know how to cook? I don't know. You just cook. Well, some of us really don't. And we have to start from the ground up. And so that's actually why I didn't put this step at the beginning, because there's a lot of other stuff that has to come first, I think, to convince you why you want to cook at home from scratch. It's It's more work. Um, Sally Fallon talks about it in Nourishing Traditions a lot that, yes, you give up a certain amount of time and personal labor, but what you get back from cooking at home is more than just saving money, although it is. You'll you'll save a lot of money. Um, And it's really hard to quantify how much money you'll save because it's not just it's not really about not going to the store and buying things. It's more about, again, back to your health. What's in your food? How much money are you wasting on the doctor every year? And how much work time are you losing because you're ill when you don't need to be? Or because you're tired and you don't need to be? Or are you depressed or suffering from chronic illness when really maybe your answer is the humble homegrown tomato and, you know, oatmeal in the morning that you've made yourself maybe it really is that simple for you and all you have to do is educate yourself a little bit you can do it I mean we're intelligent modern people and we have this wonderful thing called the internet and there's this great site Melissa K. Norris that can teach (laughs) you how to cook from scratch it's not brain surgery it's oatmeal so just start from where you are and this topic I mean you and I could probably talk about it for five hours so I don't want to go on and on I just want to put a little bit of inspiration there. If you've been kicking around cooking at home more, take the plunge, commit, write it down. How many days a week am I going to cook at home? And if you start out with one, good for you. That's more than you were doing before. And maybe by the end of the month, you'll be up to two or three nights where you're all home and you're all cooking. And this doesn't mean mom has to make everything. This really needs to be a family enterprise. Um, Because what you're doing is learning together and getting smarter about your food. And that will, over time, save you money and save you mental health. Yes. And I love, too, because I completely agree that that a lot of these skill sets have been lost. And I actually feel – now, I have to be honest. I didn't always feel growing up that lucky. But now looking back, I am so right. blessed because I really yeah. was raised, I um, I was raised a gen, because my, um, my father, I was from his second marriage and he had me a lot later in life. And so I was going to say, you don't seem old enough to have a father who was alive during the depression. I know. That, well, that makes yes. sense now. <laughs> you know, yeah. So I really feel like as far as being raised wise, that even though it was my dad, but he, you know, he was quite a is quite a bit older. Um, there's that, that gap there. My mom and him are 20 years apart. She's 20 years younger than him. So, um, 
Yes. <laughs> but I feel really fortunate because I feel in a way that I actually was raised a generation earlier um, than yeah. a lot of my counterparts, which sounds kind of funny, but it's, I, I'm actually very blessed by it because it's given me a lot of insight and wisdom and I still have a ton to learn, but I was given a lot of that, those skill sets. And like I said, as a kid, I didn't always appreciate them, especially even as a teenager, because, and like you said, frugality can be a necessity and it's still a necessity for me in a lot of different areas. But when I was growing up, we lived that way because we had to. And I think that a lot of this kind of sometimes gets romanticized, you know, the simple life and homesick oh, yeah. living on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I, I want to be honest. It is work. I mean, there's no way around that. It is work. It's a commitment. And sometimes it's hard. But on the other hand, like you were saying, the benefits of it are amazing. Does it bring you closer together to your family? Yes. It did me growing up. It has me with my own children. I'm teaching them skill sets that will serve them they don't even know how it will serve them later in life. Same thing as my dad. I had no idea how the stuff that he was teaching me and my mom would serve me yeah. later, but it's, it served me very well. So it's, and like you said too, with the cooking from scratch, and I love that you said do baby steps because I talk about that all the time. If it's just one thing that you're purchasing at the store that's pre-made with not so great ingredients in it, even just pick that one thing to start making from scratch. And yep. then once that's yep. part of your regular routine where you're not really even thinking about it that much, it's just one of the things that you don't buy from the store and you're making it, then move on to the next item. So yeah, don't be completely overwhelmed like you are going to be uh, Betty Crocker like tomorrow. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't want to be Betty Crocker anyway. Have you seen the ingredients in those cake mixes? Amen. You'll die young. Amen. I think, yeah, which they first started, though I have to say, actually, which she was not um, a real person. I think she was a person right. that they made up. For yeah, she was. But if you can get some of those really, the old Betty Crocker cookbooks, like the really old ones, they actually do have some great from scratch recipes in a lot of the older versions. I don't have one of the new ones. Some I of the original ones. ones. Yeah. yeah the original You'll ones. learn really cool stuff, like, yeah. um, you know, how to get gelatin and all, and all of that stuff. Um like, again, that it was just lost. And I think another thing to point out, especially with food, um, well, homesteading in general, you don't have to have any kind of anxiety that you're going to miss something that's important. It's all connected. So you may start out your homesteading journey in the garden and end up becoming a food activist just because everything's connected. And so take it at your pace. Don't go overboard and certainly with your family, don't push too hard because you'll end up alienating them and you don't want to go anywhere without them. So just take it one step at a time and have faith that you'll come around to everything that's important to you and you'll get it when you need it. If you're a believer in providence, then you can trust that he's very aware of what you need and when you need it. And so just relax, enjoy the ride, learn some new stuff and eat really well. Amen. We did that on a plaque. <laughs> I know. I should embroider it on a pillow or something. You should. I if I had that. time for embroidering, which I don't, but if I did. Yes. I used to embroider as a, as a, as a kid, actually. It was one of the things. I loved Little House. Laura Ingalls Wilder, oh, like, yes. cut my teeth on her books. And so I did. I did a sampler. I when I was little, my mom taught me how to embroider on a sampler. And I'm sure my skills are 
very, very rusty if I picked it back up again, though. And so I love it. That's one of those lost arts is embroidery. Like, used to be every little yeah. girl would at least make a sampler. Um, maybe that's something, you know, I should, maybe I'll get that, and that could be one of my daughter's um, Christmas presents. She's not old enough to listen to the podcast yet. It's so but, lovely. It's yeah. so lovely, and it's very easy to make handmade gifts. Just take a regular linen napkin and embroider a little something on it, and voila, you're a genius, and you have a homemade gift. I like it. We're going to do it. We are on tip number four. This one isn't always popular, but this is a very modern problem that we wrestle with. And not everybody does, but I think homesteaders do. And that's to go into your house and analyze the amount of media coming into your home and find places to pull the plug. And the reason I I include that in these steps is because A, they're huge money suckers. I mean, just the cable bill alone can be staggering. But homesteaders have a hard time living in the real world because all of us are living parallel lives. I mean, unless you're off grid in the woods somewhere, but even then, you know, we've got work and school and and those things that keep us in the modern world, but we're really not of the modern world. What we're trying to do is so different. I mean, not in the history of the world, but different in our modern culture that we can get too pulled away and feel too split apart by all of the things demanding our attention. And one of them is media. And the thing with media is that it's loud and it's blaring. You know, there's always a light blinking or something making a noise at you. And I am not an anti-industrialist. I have a computer in my home. I work online, for goodness sakes. But we have benefited enormously, not just in our pocketbook, but in our family and in our homesteading efforts as well, by just simply being very aware of what is plugged in and what is coming into our home via various forms of media. So that could be, you know, I don't know, if you struggle with your phone or you're on YouTube all the time or you're always wanting to watch the television. You know, I'm not your mom, so I really can't tell you what it is. But I bet when I mentioned that step, everybody got a picture in their head of something that they could go into their house and say, well, maybe I don't need to spend as much time on that or maybe I don't need it at all. Like, don't ditch TV altogether if that's not, something you want to do. I'm not here to tell you that's what to do. I am just here to say there's probably something in there that you can either reduce or get rid of altogether. So the reduction of, say, how about Facebook time? So if you find that you're on Facebook for three hours when really you meant to be on there for 10 minutes and everybody knows that that's a problem with Facebook (laughs) because it's interesting and your friends are on there and there's a lot of really good information online, especially for homesteaders. But maybe you're spending too much time on Facebook. So I'm not suggesting throw your computer in the garbage and save yourself that kind of money. Really what we're talking about here is time capital. So your time is worth something and so is your mental energy. And if you can keep it focused on the the goals that you've decided are important for you, um, you may find that you have less time for media, that you it's interfering with the things that you want to do in your home and in your family and on your homestead. So just be aware of it more than anything else. Um, again, we're trying to become the people we want to be, not just follow a certain um, number of steps, but being aware of our media can help us become more time conscious, how we spend our days, and that... Uh, it may or may not end up saving you dollars, but it will certainly end up saving you capital in other areas. Yeah, you know, that's so true. And one of the things that I did recently is, which seems like so simple and sometimes one of those moments where you're like, well, duh. But I turned off <laughs> I turned off the notifications on my phone. 
Yeah. Right? Because it is, it's such a little distract. It's just such an easy little distraction. It's kind of that thing like, oh, well, I'll just, you know, you see it. And you're like, oh, I'm going to pop on and see this. Every time we get interrupted, it takes us so much longer to get back in there. And then, like I said, once you're there, then that little moment tends to become longer. So I did. I took off all the notifications on my phone, social media, even email. I don't get any notifications on my phone anymore. And the other thing, this is really true for me, too, especially with the books that I read. I don't really watch television shows, really, but I, we do watch, I do watch movies those kinds of things for me personally with music. So all those forms of media is I really had to look at one, what was the message being portrayed and did it line up with my faith, my priorities and my ethics actually switched out listening to a lot of different types of music that I, that I used to really enjoy because when I really looked at their lyrics, they weren't really things that I wanted to support. And then with the books especially for me, because I love to read. I mean, I'm talking like if I could give me a day and I could read, I can literally read like a 300 page book uh, in a couple hours. I I love to read. I know. I kind of need, I need an intervention when it comes to reading. I don't have any self-control. If I get a book I like, I read it until I'm done and it doesn't matter what time. A lot of times, some of the things that I was reading weren't the best thing because what we consume, being it the food that we're eating, the skincare products that we're using, what we're seeing with our eyes and our ears, you know, all of that, it affects us in one form or another. And a lot of it was actually affecting me negatively and in ways, and, and it was things that I knew deep down that you know, this really, even though it's fiction or whatever. Now, this is for me personally. So I don't want to to feel like I'm judging you or talking to you. And if you don't feel that conviction, then, you know, then that's, that's okay. Move on to the next thing. Move on to the next thing. But it made, it's made a huge difference by using that measure. Like, how do you feel afterwards? Like there's some things that I would read on Facebook or posts that would come from certain areas or people that would leave me agitated. They would leave me frustrated. They would leave me angry, you know, put in your adjective. And yeah. I thought, unfollow it, block it. Like you are the one in control yeah. with what you're seeing. And if it's making you feel things that you don't want to feel, then so don't look at it anymore. Like, remove it, which, like, again, it seems so simple, but it was something that I actually had to think about and then do and put into action. So The simple uh, things that often form our biggest stumbling blocks, you know, we, we trip up on the simple stuff. The big stuff is easier to spot. And so I think it's just a matter of always being willing to revisit the issue. This is something that Laura Ingalls Wilder did not have to compete with. In her day, it was just different. There were plenty of demands on their time, goodness knows. But we live in an age of distraction, and there are so many things calling for our attention. But you're just a person, and you've got things, you know, you've got your family and and a homestead to run. There's just only so much you can do. So to save yourself some mental energy, just let it go. You know, the world's going to keep turning and you're going to be just fine to ditch whatever that thing is that's in your head right now that you're thinking about. Just let it go. And if you do let it go and you discover you miss it desperately in a month, well, pick it back up again and see if it's really needful. But just always revisit the issue is I think is the important thing. Yeah, I love that. Okay, great step. So that was step number four. So now we're on to step number five already. Step number five. Okay, this one... If you're interested in being more eco-conscious, this is always a favorite of homesteaders. And I don't know why. It has some kind of magic quality. As I was preparing for the book, I interviewed 
I don't even know how many homesteaders. Um, and all of them, when I got to the issue of saving energy and therefore saving money, whether you're talking about your personal energy or the energy you consume on the grid, mm-hmm. um, mentioned hang drying your laundry. I, like, I don't know what the magic is there, but everybody, and I experience it, it's fun. I have no idea why. It's <laughs> relaxing. It's peaceful. It's fun. Of all of the chores that I have during the week, that's my favorite. And I really can't tell you why. So, <laughs> it's quiet. Yes. I'm so glad that I you said know. that. Because I feel the same way. Like, it does relax me. I don't know if it's because we're outside in nature. That that could be part of it. Or it's the knowledge, like, yes, I'm saving money. Um, or it's the handling of your family's items and it makes you, you know, think of them fondly. I don't know what it is either, but it's one of my favorite things too. I'm always really it sad really when it's is. raining out and I can't go outside to physically put it on the line. <laughs> yeah, I know I'm mad. Hey, I want to hang dry my laundry. Why is it raining? <laughs> but so, if, you know, if you're talking about money, your dryer is one of the hugest energy and therefore money suckers in your home. It's enormously consumptive. And... Um, and it also damages your clothing over time. The, that high heat, um, you know, every week you're washing the same garment. It's losing a certain amount of its lint. It's losing some of its elasticity. It's, it's being scorched. And so you end up losing that garment quicker than you would otherwise. So there's that. Um, yeah, for sure. But it also, <clears throat> hang drying your laundry, um, it, it can be done in the winter, uh, you can do it even in frigid temperatures. It's actually kind of like freeze drying them um, when it's raining. Or in my case, I live in Missouri now and our summers are, you know, you drink the air. It's so wet and humid. And so I have to change up how I do it in the summer. You can do it inside. There's all kinds of stuff that you can come up with to make it work. But the thing, again, we're retraining our brains. So one of the things that this does is just help us be more conscious of all of the appliances in our home. How are we using them? How often are we using them? Are they plugged in when we're not using them? Because that that also creates a drain and every drain of energy costs money. Um, so it just helps us be more generally aware of of the things, the conveniences in our home. And they are conveniences. You know, we used to living a certain way, but historically it's really a very new kind of lifestyle. And, you know, even in our modern age, not everybody lives the way we do. Right. And so what we think of sometimes as a necessity, really once we start analyzing it, oh, turns out to be a luxury and maybe something that we can work with. Now I'm not saying stop using your dryer, that's, again, I'm not your mom. So <laughs> you got to make that decision yeah. for yourself. It's just an easy place to start. And it's fun. It, it really is. is. It's fun. And you might start doing crazy things like thinking, well, what if I lived without my washer? How do you hand wash laundry? And how do you hand wash the dishes? That's a crazy idea. <laughs> well, it's not so crazy. Historically, that's what people have done. Um, so it's just it's just a thing if you're looking to be more energy conscious, use your footprint and all of those noble goals. Maybe start with your dryer because hang drying laundry rocks. It does. You know, and too, I know there's actually, which seems crazy to me because I, I am so blessed to live on acreage and way out in the boonies, so to speak. But some homeowners associations won't let people have a clothesline. So one of the things that you can do, and this actually will serve you well too if the weather is not conducive for you to be drying your clothes outside during part of the year, is to get a drying rack. And I actually have been looking at upgrading my wooden drying rack to a stainless steel model, one, so that it will hold more clothes, and two, my 
poor little yeah. wooden one, the glue, because I use it so much and there's wet clothes on right. it, the glue where the, um, they, it goes in, it comes undone and then the, the rods fall out. So that can be an option. And then it allows you to also as do it inside as well, which is great. And the other thing too is, so I still do use my dryer occasionally. Like I said, I live in the Pacific Northwest and sometimes it's super rainy. And even with the wood stove, I don't always, sometimes I have more laundry than I've got hanger space. And so I oh will my goodness, use my yes. dryer on, on occasion. I, I still do use my dryer. But like you said, you don't have, you never have to clean out a lint vent when you are lying or rack drying. So your clothes don't nope. dry out, uh, wear out as fast, which is true. But the other, there's two other tips that I want to share as well, and specifically with drying your clothes. And any power consumption actually is most power companies. So you can check with your power company for exact hours. Have a peak time where you are actually charged more, your rate is higher, and non-peak hours where you're charged less. So if you find out what those are, then run your dryer on the non-peak hours when it costs you less same thing, run your dishwasher at that time. If you're using your dishwasher, use your washing machine, like anything that uses a lot of power, find out when your non-peak hours are and try to do the majority of all of that then. So then it will save you money. And the other great thing is even if you still do use your dryer, but you're using that dryer rack and the outside when you can, is you will extend the life of your dryer so much. And so you won't have be having to replace that as often, which is always great. Yeah. They're not cheap. <laughs> no, we bought ours used almost 12 years ago. We bought a used washer and dryer set, and it is still my washer and dryer set. And I totally know it's because Good I girl. love dry so much. I know that that's why. Yeah. Because that, that dryer is not getting used like a, a normal dryer would, and so it's lasted a lot longer. So those those are just they do. really they burn simple tips. Up. They do. They burn themselves out totally. So those are just some simple, simple tips that can help you as well. And like I said, that's going to be used with anything um, that's a drawing power is to use those non-peak hours as much as you can to your advantage. So we've hit all five of our tips, but I do have a little bonus one. Do you want it? I love bonuses. I Yes, bonuses make my world go round. So please okay. share. <laughs> <laughs> well, it kind of goes back to the cooking from scratch, but not necessarily because it's going to be very person dependent. Over time, make your own of everything. Don't get overwhelmed because we start, again, we start baby steps. I'm not really going to give a ton of specific examples, but I'm going to tell you how I how I decide the next thing I'm going to work on that I'm making myself at home. And this could be a food item or a healthcare product like soap or lotion, a cleaning product. It could be anything. I get my recycling bin and I dump it out on the grass and I look at what's in there. Now, I don't use my trash that much just because I, we just don't throw that much stuff away. We've got compost, we've got animals. So there isn't a ton of garbage that we create every week. So I'm going to my recycling bin and I dump it out and I look at what's in there and more often than not, it's plastic. So paper we burn or reuse in some way. Typically, we just don't use a ton of metal, but typically it's plastic. And I'll look at what the containers are. And this can tell you what it is you're still buying in your home and what you're buying the most of and it might give you a good place to start on items that you could start making at home. Now, again, the internet is a great resource for this. You've got books. You, uh, Melissa has books that can help you. There's a wealth of information on this topic. The actual key is to not get overwhelmed. And that's why I suggest this exercise because then you can just focus on one thing without thinking, 
I have to make everything myself right now. Because that's not what I'm suggesting. I'm suggesting you pick one thing that you're already consuming a lot of and you f- see if it's something you're interested in making yourself. One of the first things um, I started making on my own when I did this for the first time, it was years ago, was yogurt. I did not know that yogurt was so easy to make. It's, it's probably one of the easiest dairy ferments ever. And there was no reason for me to be buying it. It's got a bunch of fillers in it that I didn't want to be eating. It, it just is so simple to make myself. And then I wouldn't have this plastic yogurt container sitting in my recycling when it didn't need to be there. I started making my yogurt. And and now it's like you've mentioned earlier, it's just part of my normal. And I don't even think about it. And so every few months, I'll take my recycling and I'll dump it out. And now, you know, I've been homesteading for, I don't know how you qualify that, of I've been homesteading, I guess, since I was a kid, but in earnest for about 15 years. Mm -hmm. And now I'm up to stuff like, well, here's the plastic wrapping that was around my CSA meat. So I'm not raising my own meat. How can I change that? I'm not ready for beef cattle, but I can totally raise enough chicken and turkey and can it for the year. I don't need to be buying this. The only reason I am is because I'm buying the convenience of getting an organic hen from the store. That's where I am in my process. And it's a constant thing I revisit. So, and it may not be where your listeners are. And that's fine. Judging yourself against other people is a waste of your energy. Just judge yourself against where you were last year. So if you go home and you take your recycling, you dump it out and you find that yogurt container and you think, this is my year for yogurt rock it, make it, make it your year for yogurt. And then next year you'll look back and think, I totally know how to make yogurt. Let's go on to the next thing. And it really won't be intimidating. Next thing you know, you'll be making cheese and soap and candles. And you'll just be so cool that you'll be mentoring other people as they come up through the ranks of homesteading. Last one, that's just a little bonus. I love that bonus. And I love the idea of, of dumping out the recycling container and really looking because a lot of times, I don't realize some of the things that I'm still consuming and I'm still buying, which sounds stupid because I'm the one that's buying it and using it because I'm the grocery <laughs> no, shopper in our home. I know what you mean. But, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, you you really don't r- realize that it. it doesn't come in and, and cement in your brain. And so this is a very concrete way of, yup, you're buying and using these things. And like you said, just I love that you say just to pick one because I'm that way because it can be very overwhelming even where I'm at. I mean, I felt like I was raised as a homesteader and then we chose to live this lifestyle when my husband and I got married and we started our own family. But there's still things that I purchase at the store and sometimes I make it at home and then sometimes there will come seasons and you won't be able to maybe do everything that you were doing and that's okay too. Seasons, I know those seasons. Right? They're, Amen. Like I, I They're my so intimate many- friends, those seasons. <laughs> so I make my own laundry soap, but I will be completely honest. I have a bottle of Mrs. Meyer's laundry soap sitting on top of my that's washing right. machine right now. And that's okay. I will make it in the future. But for this month right now, I am not. I bought it. Yeah, that's and that's okay. okay. So You're supporting yeah. your economy. That's important. Right. So, but I love what you said. And for the making yogurt, y'all, it really is one of the easiest things that you can make at home. So super simple. And I actually have a full tutorial on how to make it. You do not need a yogurt, ma- yogurt maker, by the way. You do not need an appliance to make yogurt. You need a mason jar. You need milk and you need a starter and you can either purchase a starter or that starter can just be a thing of yogurt that has live cultures already in it. That's it. Like three, three things. That's it. So you can, I'll put that in the show notes so you can go and check that out. I've got a video that shows you how to do it super easy. So if this is going to be your year for yogurt, 
totally, you can do it. I, I promise. It takes like less yeah. than 10 minutes of active time, like super fast. We all can say, if our husband comes home and asks why on earth we are sitting with all the garbage <laughs> dumped out, and we can tell him, hey, I, this is going to save us money, baby. <laughs> He'll be so pleased. <laughs> I love that, too. That's great. And really don't, you know, I'm always, like I said, I've been doing this for years, but I'm always taken by surprise at how simple things are to make at home. I'll never forget the first time I ground my own flour. That was years ago as a little baby, new mom and new wife. I got my flour grinder. And then the first time I made powdered sugar at home, I was, I felt like the first human who made fire. I, it was an amazing feeling. I thought, oh, I guess I don't have to buy this at the store. Who knew? I know. I have to tell you, I've been grinding my own flour for, I don't even know how many years now. And I like, I, when I grind, when I, yeah, when I see that ground flour, I'm like, yeah, I am a pioneer. Yeah, no, <laughs> seriously. I do oh a little goodness. dance and I'm always grateful that no one's there to see it because it's really embarrassing. Right, but I feel all powerful. Yes. Okay, good. I'm glad I'm not alone there. For for all those of you who are listening in, like, just do it. Then you won't think we're weird. You'll be like, yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> I'm weird like Melissa. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Tessa. I have really enjoyed this time together. And there's so many valuable tips in there and little nuggets. So I'm I'm super excited to also hear from everybody else. So make sure that you go and visit the blog posts, the website, and share that so that we can continue the conversation and the sharing of tips and learning. Um, I'm super excited. So, And I'll have links so you can go and check out Tessa's awesome stuff, her book, her website, all that fun stuff. So thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks for having me. For our verse of the week for this week's episode, this probably for some of you may seem quite natural, but as Tessa and I were talking and we were sharing, the one thing that kept coming to mind and it really came to mind with all of the tips and all of the things that we encompassed was stewardship. So the definition of stewardship by Merriam-Webster Dictionary um, is the conducting supervising, or managing of something, especially the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. I thought about all the things that we're talking about, you know, our time, our money, the things that we have, our food in the kitchen, our relationships, all of that really goes into being and what we're trying to cultivate is to be a good steward of all of those things. So I thought it was very apt and very fitting to share from Matthew chapter 25 verse 29. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what he has will be taken from him. So that's from the entire parable of the talents, which I would highly recommend that if you haven't read it in a while to go back and read that. And the parable of the talents is Matthew 25, 14 through 29. And so for those of you who might not be familiar with it or need a little bit of a refresher, basically it is a man is going on a journey. And so he calls all of his servants in that are taking care of the property and his things while he's gone. And to one of them, he gives five talents of money to another two talents and to another one talent, each according to his ability. So then he goes on his journey and he's gone for a long time. And while he's gone, the guy who got the most money, he goes out at once, puts that money to work, and he doubles his money that he entrusted him with. The guy that got two talents, he goes out, he does the same thing. He doubles what he got. And then the guy who just got one talent, he goes off, digs a hole, puts the money in the ground. He doesn't 
you know, he doesn't make any more money. He doesn't do anything with it. He just buries it in the ground. So finally, the master comes back from this really long journey that he's been on and he's been gone. And he asks the first guy, okay, I gave you five talents. What have you done with it? And he shows him that he's doubled his money. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Same thing happens with the guy who doubled the two talents. So then he comes to the guy who had the one talent. And he says, what have you done with it? And he says, I know that you're a hard man and harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid. So I went out and I hid your talent in the ground. So here it is. Here's what you originally gave me. I didn't do anything with it. I'm just giving it back to you. And the master replies, you wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I harvest where I have not sown and I gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So he takes the one talent from him and he gives it to the man who doubled the money. And he says that then that's where the verse 29 comes in. For everyone who is will be given more, he will have an abundance and whoever does not have even what he has will be taken from him. Now, I realize this isn't necessarily, Jesus isn't necessarily talking about in this parable um, about financial things. And, but I think that this also applies to being a good steward of what God has given us. Now, I don't mean this to be like a guilt thing and you have to feel like that you do absolutely everything that we talk about and that you do everything right now and that you're really going over, you know, everything with a fine tooth comb. This isn't meant to like give you a guilt or to that you're not majoring up, but it is to make us cognizant of the things that we do have and to just try to be as as good as steward as possible with the things that the Lord has blessed us. Now, of course, we know God doesn't want us to be all concerned about finances and money, even though this parable is talking about that. He's more concerned with the condition of our heart, which is especially why I feel that tip number four that we talked about today can have a really big impact, even though it might seem like it's something so small, in a lot of areas of our life. So for me, I I think that this whole episode and the whole visit that we got to have with Tessa I think what I gleaned from this is just trying to be a good steward with the things that the Lord has blessed us with right now in our lives and to not worry about the future or the things that he may give us later on or he might not, but just to stay focused on him and the right here and the right now where we're at in our journey. And that's going to be a different place for each and every one of us. And that place will change too as we go along in our journey as well. I hope that that gives you some encouragement. I think today was jam-packed with a lot of really applicable things, and I'm going to be doing bonus tip number six. And I would love to hear in the comments on tip number six, if you do that exercise, what it is that's going to be the next thing that you're going to be making homemade. And just pick one thing, because we don't want to be overwhelmed on your homesteading journey. So I wanna hear what is that very next thing that you're gonna be doing and learning and rocking how to do um, in your homesteading journey. And make sure that you grab that free Homestead Kitchen download guide that Tessa gave us. It is, it's really awesome. It's got a lot of cool stuff in it and I think that you will really enjoy it. So that is yours up for grabs, totally free. And thank you so much for joining me on the Pioneering Today podcast. I look forward to connecting with you next week.